0: I told Lindsay I would say we can actually start the sermon. And so, yeah, finally. All right, we're reading Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8.
1: Yeah, hey, I my phone there
0: somewhere. Yeah, Twee, can you just throw that towards Riley, but not really because oh, I don't know if you guys would just recover? Sorry,
1: right, took your seat. Are oh, you good? You're rotating chairs.
0: All right, uh, why don't we start? Wee! Elizabeth, would you like to start Matthew 9, verses 1
2: through 8? Sure. I you could, oh, you got yeah, you. I
0: got you, I got you.
2: Matthew 9. When
1: Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Do
0: you want to read verse too sweet?
2: Some men brought to him a... Paralytic lying on a mark. Lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the par- paralytic. paralytic, Take <coughs> heart, son. Mm-hmm. Your sins are forgiven.
1: But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in
2: your hearts?
0: Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk?
2: But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home.
1: And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God
2: through such authority
0: to okay so last week we talked about how authority um, about Jesus' authority so mm-hmm. we're gonna hit some reoccurring themes that we have here and <laughs> before I pray and launch into this teaching tonight um, I want you to th- th- think about this in terms of Jesus' authority, and still the call to discipleship and Jesus saying like, do you do you know what it's like to follow me? Okay, so I'm gonna pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you so much, Lord, that we can share a meal and we can gather together and talk about your word. Lord, I pray that as we talk about this experience in the Bible that you would reveal to us new things that we have never seen before. I thank you so much that we get to be together and we get to do this. Um, I pray that you protect Jess and Chase and Lindsay, and Jenna, and Kyle, and Cash, and Winry, and everybody in our community, Aaron, and Justin, um, and their kiddos, Lord, while they are traveling, and that you would bring them home safely to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. So last week we talked about, like, in the Bible, if you see stories that are repeating itself, that means that this is something that's really, really important. And so um, this story about, like, last week when Jesus uh, went and healed the demoniacs, and set them free that was in Matthew Mark and Luke and those three are known as the synoptic Gospels this story continuing um, kind of like this almost like this long pathway of Jesus's miracles and his encounters with all these different people this story about Jesus healing the paralytic is also in Matthew Mark Luke and John but there are some differences that stand out here and so one of the major differences is that in Matthew's account he doesn't include the part of the story that mark and luke included which was essentially jesus is in a house and it was super packed and they couldn't get their paralytic friend in so they climbed on top of the roof carried him up there dug a hole through the roof and lowered him down in front of jesus so matthew doesn't add that at all and then he doesn't and what it stands out with matthew though is that it's the only account of the story where jesus says something endearing to this paralytic man, and it was, um, in my translation, it said, uh, be encouraged, my child. Mark and Luke don't add that. And so I want to, We're later we're going to discuss why those things kind of stand out. But I think one of the first questions I had when I was writing this is, why do you think that Matthew didn't add the detail about the house and the commitment of the friends to climb a roof, lift their paralyzed friend up to the roof, dig a hole and then lower their friend down like to me that's like a legit detail like set of details to include but why don't you think matthew added that in his account keep in mind the context that we've talked about
1: he may not have been in the house
0: he might not have been in the he house
1: because it wasn't just probably a house full of people the whole area was well probably... it
3: says calling and matthew right next to it so yeah he probably
1: wasn't there you know i mean there's a lot <laughs> of people in the house a lot of <laughs> people around the house people kind of working their way in
2: mm-hmm.
1: i mean you would think that if if you had, you think you would hear somebody climbing up the house and ripping the roof apart, like you're yeah. in the middle of a sermon. They're not
3: tablet. houses like, like ours. I, I
1: understand, there. but even if somebody, if you were in a tent, it's like, you it's know, just disruptive. I mean, like it's like dust would be coming down. Screen. You know, yeah. you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, you're like, you know, yeah, what's right. going on?
0: Yeah. Tristan, why do you, why don't you think Matthew added that detail? I think the way I've always been told it is that way they brought him up to the roof and all that so it's Mm -hmm. different seeing it Mm -hmm. this way Yeah, I think like for me I think it's different authors they had their different audiences and they had their different agenda and what they were trying to accomplish with theirs and so perhaps and I don't know perhaps Matthew's agenda wasn't so much on this detail but it hits harder on the idea of authority because that's what we go into later
3: well, even, like, the last three sections, or the, this is the last of three. It's like he has authority over the wind and rain, he has authority over demons, and then he has authority over bodies, right? So, I think that, that he's definitely trying to drive the authority mm-hmm. home. Yeah. And it's just, you know, if you want to give a good speech, you use the least words possible, mm-hmm. right?
0: So, in this exchange between Jesus and the paralytic, the paralytic was brought to Jesus, by his friends mm-hmm. but if you look at the scripture what are some things that stand out to you in this interchange
1: i guess to me like the first thing that i take away isn't necessarily an interchange that happens between him and the paralyzed man it's the first thing that he says is jesus saw their faith mm-hmm. so i was referring to just not only the paralyzed man but also his friends like i mean they had to have enough faith to just, like, go and do all that.
0: There's also no recorded verbal, inter- like, conversation between Jesus and these dudes that just essentially dragged and carried their friend on a bed, which, in original language, it means Matt. And when I was writing the sermon, I was like, we're going to call the paralyzed guys Matt. Because <laughs> I'm full of bad jokes. <laughs> but what was this idea is that they were carrying their friend and putting him before Jesus. And Riley pointed out the fact that Jesus didn't hear about how they had faith, but Jesus saw that they had faith. And I stuck, I kind of paused right here because there's so much significance in just those three, like in that section that says he he saw their faith. Mm -hmm. And this is idea that our faith has to be more than just what we say it is. It has to be what we do with it. And so, when I was writing and putting together my presentation today, I was sobbing because I started to think about all these significant times in my life where Christians didn't just show, like, tell me about their faith and I had to hear about it, but is that they actually showed me their faith by the way that they loved me, by the way that they loved people. And I say this more than once, but if it's worth repeating, it's probably because it's important, is that the world is really tired. Of hearing people who say, yeah, I love Jesus. Mm-hmm. The world needs to see people who love Jesus loving people well. The world needs to see us as a gathering of people who are growing in our faith. We're all in different parts and journeys of our faith. They need to see us loving each other well. Because the reality is when I talk to people who don't belong to churches and I ask them why, what they tell me, I recognize Wow, if that was how I saw Christians, I wouldn't want to be a part of that. And people are seeing how we treat each other and how we treat people different than us. And we have to say, are they seeing Jesus' love inside of us? Are they seeing faith? Because in this exchange, Jesus saw their faith. They dragged their friend who was paralyzed on a mat and it's like, in my mind i was thinking you know if somebody breaks a leg or something in the forest um not that i've ever been in this situation but i've seen enough movies you kind of essentially kind of fashion together something that you they can lay on and you drag them through and there's handles and like you guys know what i'm talking about like not that you've probably ever been in a situation where someone's broken a leg but now we can all know what to do but they literally physically drag their friend to jesus I don't care if they dropped him through the roof, if they just dragged him and dropped him, but the idea is that they did work to get him there hoping that he would get healed. He doesn't make a comment about the paralyzed man's faith because he was simply brought to Jesus, but he makes a comment about his friend's faith, the people who loved him so much that they were willing to drag him in front of Jesus in hopes that Jesus would heal him. And so their friends had faith. And I want, like, here's something that I also want to, like, just share. Is that, oh, in my notes, the paralyzed man's name is Matt. (laughs) It was so funny when I wrote it because they dragged him on a bed, but the bed was actually a Matt, so he's paralyzed. His name should be Matt in our story, but I realized that could be insensitive. But all my notes say that, so give me a moment. But in Jewish culture, they believed that if you had a physical, like if you were paralyzed, if you had leprosy, if you had any sort of illness or ailment or brokenness of your body, it was your fault because you sinned and this was God's punishment for you. And so this paralyzed man, we don't know if he's been paralyzed his whole life. We don't know if he, um, like had an accident while he was working and he is paralyzed. We don't know if he was a quadriplegic. We don't know what part of his is paralyzed. We just know that he was paralyzed to the point where he couldn't get himself in front of Jesus. So his friends had to do it. But if in his culture, this predominant idea is that you are paralyzed because you have sinned and it is your fault, that is the shadow and the cloud that he's been existing under, whether it's his own whole life if it is a a portion of his adult life, we don't even know those details. We just know that he existed in a time where his brokenness was this outward symbol that let people know that there was sin in his life. That's what they believed. Without interaction with him, without knowing him, his brokenness was thought to be his fault because of his sin. And living under that and being paralyzed, having people see that, it immediately reminded me of this idea of back in the day, if um, a woman was an adulteress, she would have to wear a scarlet letter, a scarlet A, outside of her clothes indicating that she was an adulteress, a physical symbol of someone's brokenness. So he's having this experience, paralyzed guy, brought in front of Jesus. Jesus commends his friend for his faith. And then Jesus, in this account, Jesus says to him, like, he calls him my son, my child. Take heart, have courage, my child. And the term of that is a term of endearment. You meet somebody, Jesus meets somebody, who has existed under this idea that people believe that he was this way because it was his fault because he had sin. So this level of shame, this stigmatism, and what Jesus says to him is endearment. What Jesus says to him is kindness. What Jesus says to him is love. And I immediately felt convicted because I began to think, oh my goodness, how are we meeting, how are we responding to people who deal with stigmatisms and assumptions about who they are? Are we responding to them like Jesus responded to this man are we responding in love and in kindness are we being intentional about the way that we speak to them because that is us showing our faith and that is people hearing it and seeing it and the way that we love them so Jesus first acknowledges his friend and then he acknowledges this man who is broken and I want before we move on I had this question. And it was after this really cool quote that says we cannot teach other religious another religious truth. We can only point out a way we can only point out to others a way whereby they may find it for themselves. We cannot make people Christians, but we can do everything possible to bring them into the presence of Christ. That if you are here and you're like, "Oh, and I'm a believer." If you're like, "I'm a believer." It is not our job to make people Christians. It is our job to point them to Jesus. It is our job to love them well. It is our job to live out the gospel truth in our life and to point them to Jesus and bring them into the presence of Jesus just like this paralyzed man's friend brought him to Jesus. So I ask us, who has carried us to Jesus when we couldn't anymore? Who do we carry to Jesus because they can't come? And so I want us to share in this space stories if you have a story about how somebody loved you in your brokenness and brought you before Jesus in prayer who spoke truth to you because you couldn't believe truth anymore that story and then the story of who who are you doing that for and why I really love these experiences in the way that we teach here is because I think there's so much value in us exchanging stories, exchanging experiences. So I would love to hear one person talk about how somebody has brought them to the cross, has brought them before Jesus, and then somebody else sharing who are they doing that for right now and how can we pray for them. And because these are being recorded and put in, put on our website, you don't have to use names, preferably that you don't, but just a generic story. I just edit all the awkward sign that says out. Don't worry, (laughs) (laughs) guys. Cut. I love you. (laughs) Cut. (laughs) If you guys are not share, I'm just calling
3: people. I'll take the second question. Do the second question first. Okay. Well, I just got a great opportunity to carry 17 moms before Jesus.
0: Tell us about that.
3: Uh, it was really amazing. I got to go to camp last week mm-hmm. with uh, 14 moms. And uh, Young Life Camp has kind of uh, has a rhythm to it, right? They mm-hmm. We have we have like a speaker, and then we have a time to talk about what the speaker talked about. And then we have fun. And then it's just kind of like that and, that and that over and over again every day. So it starts, you know, and, and it's, the speaker kind of goes through... Christ, right? Mm -hmm. Talking about sin stuff and and then Jesus and then, anyway, gives them the opportunity to come to know Jesus. So that was really amazing. It was amazing. At first it was really hard because these girls have lots of hard things they're dealing Mm -hmm. with and so just being present with them and listening and asking questions and hearing their stories and getting to know them that was awesome. And then towards the end we get a chance to have just a one-on-one time Mm and Um, and ask him like well, where are you with Jesus How you know tell me tell me what you think of this guy tell me what you're thinking right we don't like we don't make them Christians or anything mm-hmm. but we have this great experience together mm-hmm. and then ask them questions and let them kind of stumble upon it on their own really yeah. you know let him do his work it's not our work Yeah. so that way it was really beautiful was really amazing to see how God showed up that week
1: that's
3: awesome even even when kids didn't seem like they were listening they were listening
0: i would say my experience is so i've been like really honest and open about my personal experience and journey with depression and anxiety and i share this story honestly and openly um just because i don't feel like we talk about mental illness a lot in the church and people's struggles in the church and so probably a couple years ago I went through a really really bad bout of depression and it was to the point where I couldn't go to work I couldn't shower I couldn't get out of bed I would look at my children and know in my head I love you I love you so much and then but like feel physically nothing like emotionally nothing towards them and I remember this one time like in that bout of depression uh Riley dressed me, he carried me to the car, and he just said, I don't know what to do, but I just know we need to, like, leave. And I don't even, babe, do you remember where we went? I felt like it was a Costco. <laughs> Maybe. But we, yeah, but we went somewhere, and I stood there, but it was like I was such in this deep, dark place, and... It was like, I I can recall that's one of my worst bouts of depression because I remember telling Riley he had to change the gun safe because all I could think about was killing myself. And so Riley goes and, and, you know, he takes me. And I was so deep in this that I couldn't, like, I couldn't think, I couldn't feel, I couldn't care for myself. And I remember standing there, and again, I think it could have been Costco. But I remember standing there and... Like, just being in this darkness, and it was like I was in this black, like, dark, pitch black room, and everything was dead to me, everything was dull. And I just hear very quietly calling the name of Jesus. And so, I'm standing there, and I don't know if I said it out loud, but I just started whispering the name of Jesus. It wasn't eloquent prayers, it wasn't anything magical, it was just the name of Jesus. And in that moment, it literally felt as if somebody opened the door to this black room where I couldn't see and I couldn't feel. I was totally deprived of my senses. And this door opened and this light flood in and that was the first time I felt something like, like lift off of me. And I tell this story and I think of it in retrospect because I think that in life and in marriage, there will be seasons where one is weak and the other is strong. And those roles can be reversed. But our job as spouses is to bring our spouse before Jesus. In friendships, sometimes both of you will be strong. Sometimes that's not going to be the case. But as a friend, to bring somebody before Jesus. And that was Riley bringing me before Jesus. It wasn't answers. It wasn't anything eloquent. It was having to dress me, carry me to the car, buckle me in be probably terrified for my life and for the life like just terrified but it it was like I was emotionally mentally spiritually paralyzed and he brought me before Jesus and it was this time that is marked in our life where I really understood that in relationship to love someone is to bring someone in front of Jesus they're like in loving them And so they bring him to Jesus. And Jesus says, I see your faith. And then he turns to the paralyzed person. And I talked about how his response to the paralyzed man was so unique. But what was also unique besides the endearment was the fact that he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. Before he heals them, before he does anything, he says, your sins are forgiven. So why did Jesus focus on the spiritual restoration before the physical restoration? Why do you think, instead of saying, first, let's heal your body, let's get you off that mat, why would he first deal with the sins? And there's no conversation about what those sins were.
1: Yeah, I didn't think that there's no precedent before this. But then was like, this is what he does. He forgives their sins and then heals them. So... The only thing that I can see is that he saw the broken man before he saw the broken body. That's
0: good. Nico, what do you think?
1: Uh, I think it's kind of like what Riley said. It's like the first, like it, it kind of just needed to happen. There's like no paperwork that needs to like. There's no paperwork that needs to be done there or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it needs to happen, like right. No permit required. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't need a warrant for that one or <laughs> anything like that. You know, it's just like, like he's there to do it, like right then. Like, I'll forgive you and, like, heal. And mm-hmm. it's like, let's call
0: it good. Your responses are significantly deeper than mine. My note says Jesus mic drops left and right in this experience. He's just laying it thick because by him healing him first and saying your sins are forgiven, the precedence was that he in that moment was claiming that he is God. Your sins are forgiven because they believe only God could do that even in the jewish mess like in the jewish messianic expectation their expectation of who their savior would be it didn't include forgiveness of sins because only god could do that so when jesus says your sins are forgiven that is jesus mic dropping and said i am god here i have authority here and like Eliana you got it that what you said like that part of like you have to like you have to take out what is causing that pain you have to heal the spiritual and I think it's right on is that God sees a broken man before he sees a broken body that even if the man was not like broken like his physical body was not broken there's still brokenness inside and it will manifest in other ways so Jesus is handling this first and then what's ing- Oh, yeah, Sorry. tell
3: girl. You know, you're talking about the shame aspect. Of yeah. Maybe he could have believed that he would heal his body without the healing of his sins, right? Like yeah. if he has the shame, like, I've sinned, therefore I'm paralyzed. Yeah. He might, you know what I mean, just for that person. I mean, Jesus only knows And if he thinks or if he believes that his sins mm-hmm. are forgiven, then his body could be healed as well. Yeah. And then he knew the Pharisees were there. Yeah. And he knew that they were going to be like, what the? You can't say that.
0: Right, so yeah. Anyway, that's
2: good. I guess like people who like have, uh, have or feel like they have sins, probably they, they don't they don't realize that they have an authority they to you know heal someone else mm-hmm. or even heal themselves. So I guess like um, Jesus actually heal him spiritually, spiritually first, that to let him realize that you have the authority day to actually heal yourself. Doesn't matter that your body is broken or not. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought, but because because I if I remember that last week that we learned that we have the authority there to heal someone, right?
0: Mm-hmm. He, like with the you, Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So, but like mm-hmm. if we have sins or we feel like we have sins, then of course we don't realize that we have that authority. Yeah. So I guess when Jesus tried to heal him spiritually yeah. first not his body first, then to let him realize that yeah. you have the authority. Yeah. So you could even heal yourself or you know, heal someone else next. Yeah, the disciples
0: were not heal parts of people. Yeah. Because they were under the authority of Jesus and they were working and operating in the authority mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit, which is promised to believers to dwell inside of us. And I think about, like, I, in and I, you know, healing of physical body, awesome. But full restoration to God and reconciliation, spiritual reconciliation, I will take that any day Absolutely. over. Because this body, and I was talking to um, Riley's mom, and we were talking about how, like, our bodies, like, we will die. These are temporary but what I want is eternity. What I want is restoration. And that is what he experiences in this moment. Jesus is not just saying your sins will be forgiven. Not this futuristic idea that God, the real Messiah, whoever is going to come and then then you're good. He's saying right now, in this moment, I have restored you because I am the messiah i am the savior that restoring you emotionally mentally spiritually will always be more important than healing your body because your body is temporary i will first take care of your eternity then i will take care of your temporary and this experience is that he does this your sins are forgiven and it says that i think in the previous verse in verse it was like the scribes or the pharisees were whispering to each other and then in verse 4 says jesus knew what they were thinking so he asked them why do you have such evil thoughts in your heart is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk and i want to provide context that this doesn't actually mean that he read their mind but if we're sitting in this circle and somebody did something really cool like i don't know heal somebody if riley and tristan start looking at each other like Wow. fair just fair to assume they're talking about what just happened so he's calling them out he's like why do you have such evil thoughts why are his sins are forgiven what do you think is actually easier to say to this broken man in body and spirit that your sins are forgiven or you can get up and walk now so my question to you is what do you think would be easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk to somebody who has been physically broken, laying on a mat carried there by his friends. The answer is clear. It's you are forgiven.
2: Yeah.
0: But the what happens when someone is forgiven is a spiritual change that doesn't necessarily manifest in their physical.
2: <clears throat>
0: but when someone is physically healed, that is manifested, that can be seen, that can be probably measured, that is visible if somebody was in a wheelchair their entire life and then they were healed and then they stood up holy crap that would be bonkers but if somebody who's been walking around spiritually broken their entire lives not knowing Jesus separated from from God the Father not knowing of this gospel of this Jesus, of this love and they encounter Jesus and they're reconciling through what that actually looks like there's no physical manifestation you can't look like you just received Christ to somebody you just walked in the street. But if a homeboy in a wheelchair stands up, you're like, whoa, you would see that and you would notice it. So he's calling them out. And then he goes on and says, so I will prove to you that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up. Pick up your mat and go home. Then the man jumped up and went home.
1: Stand up, Matt, and go home. Don't forget
0: your mat. Come on,
1: Matt, stand up and go home. (laughs)
0: Don't forget your mat. People who don't know us are going to listen to this like, oh, man. Dad jokes are strong. (laughs) So instead of now, he claimed his deity, he claimed his godhood when he said, Your sins are forgiven indirectly, and then he directly tells them, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins in case they didn't get it the first time. He goes, I am it. I have authority. I can forgive his sins. Even though that was not even your messianic expectation of what your messiah or what you thought your messiah could do, which is forgive sins, I am here to do that.
1: Well, this time too, like, forgiveness of sins was still an offer. Yeah. So, I mean, like, this is like yeah. Give up for completely f- foreign concepts. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah.
0: It made me think about their expectation of who they thought their Messiah would be and who Jesus is. And then I began to wonder who do we think Jesus is? And who Jesus actually is might not always align. It shouldn't say, isn't some. Who we think Jesus is and who Jesus actually is doesn't always doesn't always align. That Jesus did not fit the Jewish messianic expectation. They wanted a warrior, a ruler, a leader to come in, to have an army, to dominate every nation that dominated them before. That was their idea of this messianic like David to come in and just throw down and then so they get a carpenter who was born to a virgin in a cave from a town that nobody good came out of didn't have an army didn't have the resources didn't have the riches went around with 12 people who were rejected by rabbis by their rabbi so they're picking up trades like fishermen like all these things who they thought who they wanted their messiah to be And who he actually is and then I began to think when are times that I slip into who how what I think God should be like and who he actually is that it doesn't always fit together so how do we make sure that our experience and our understanding of Messiah of Jesus actually aligns with what is biblical truth of Messiah of Jesus of Savior
3: you have to have an understanding of what the Messiah is mm-hmm. to be in alignment, right? And, you know, I try to think of Jesus as my boss mm-hmm. and as my dad, right? For
1: the most part. Leader.
3: Um, leader seems like a weird word, though. Boss seems... Boss and dad seems more... 2019,
1: you can't use the word boss. It's not politically correct. <laughs> Just saying. What do you use then? Supervisor, manager, Okay, he's so my later. supervisor.
0: Martha, <laughs> are you folding the clothes? <laughs> that means, well, I mean, if, that if, I,
3: out, if he's, you know, like in the healing part, mm-hmm. he has to be your supervisor because he tells you when to heal, right? You're not like, oh, I'm going to go heal you, you know what I mean? He says, no, I want you to... Pray for this person, you know what I mean. I've had times where I felt like I was like, You really need to pray for that person right now, they need healing, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean. So, and And following it and obeying that when he prompts you to do so.
1: Mm -hmm. What I kept thinking about on the you know, the spiritual healing side is you know, versus physical healing is you know, spiritual healing is eternal, where physical healing is just a short term gain, like you're Mm -hmm. saying, our bodies are just temporary. So, even if you went from being paralyzed to being able to walk is, you know just for a short time because mm-hmm. eventually everyone dies anyway so it's yeah. mm-hmm. you know the spiritual healing is what really pays the dividends that's mm-hmm. what you really want right because that's yeah. forever right.
0: and this is the part that is super wonky to me which is that and they still don't get it
1: well they don't they lots of other things happen they never seem to get it yeah and then they kill them so i mean they ultimately you know
3: I want to tell you one more story from from our week week at camp so there was this one girl and I could see her sin I could see how just angry and she would Mm -hmm. she would not accept it right she was just mad and she couldn't see but then in the sharing she shared her story Mm -hmm. you know we had an opportunity to share stories with her Mm -hmm. you know the sharing of life Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you know uh, we went to one of the meetings, you know, where you have the speaker. And the speaker said something like, "We go through, we go through these things in our life, so that we need Jesus. Because mm-hmm. you have to need Jesus, right? Yeah. You have to know that you need Jesus. And all of a sudden, it clicked. And all of a sudden, this girl, it was, it was the most beautiful thing. All of a sudden, she had eyes that could see and she mm-hmm. had ears that could hear. Like she went from no." And then all of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, I totally get it. It was, it was stunning, Mm -hmm. and it was Jesus all the way, right? Yeah. Like, it's that same kind of thing. Sometimes we can see somebody's sin or their resistance or Mm -hmm. their faith, their lack of faith, Mm -hmm. right? We just gotta patiently wait and wait for the Lord to like prompt us when to talk, yeah. What and what to say, and if we don't know what to say, then be like, "What do I say?" or "Give me a place to say," right?
0: It's like this intentional listening mm-hmm. and like making sure that we are able to separate what we think we want to say to what God, what do you want to do in this moment, in this place? But the reality is that they still didn't get it. And there are so many circumstances where he does all these things and they're still like, nah, you're not it. Right? Like Lazarus coming back to life. Nah, you can't be it. Healing and restoring of people, hard past. You're definitely not it. And what this remind me of is that some people will not understand. And um, later this year, we're going to be walking through an entire series of just discipleship in Jesus, going and telling these people what they can expect when they go out into the world. Because at that point, they counted the cost, and he's like, "This is now what you can expect." And he says, "There will be people who will not receive you."
3: Matthew 13 goes on that part yeah. where it says. Uh, You will be ever hearing and never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving for the people's hearts. Hearts has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed eyes.
0: Yeah. Right. And that is, the reality is that some people will not get it. The people here still didn't get it. They responded first with fear instead of awe. Like this person has been not just spiritually restored, they have been physically restored when was the last time you saw a paralyzed person get off off the ground, get up off a bed, get up off a chair? Never. Never. I've heard of it, and what's crazy? I've never seen it. I, I can't think of seeing that. But they responded with fear and then they were like, they thanked God for giving, in my translation, um, in its New Living Translation it says, they thanked God for giving humans authority and then they still didn't get it. And I just thought to myself, when somebody has so many experiences that with Christians, with the church, that have hurt them, that have scarred them, that have beat them up, it will be harder for them to receive and hear and see of the goodness of God because the people who claim to love him have abused their power and authority. When people have a hard time receiving the gospel. Here's the thing. I've never met somebody who had a personal problem with Jesus. But I've met a lot of people who have had a personal problem with people who say they love Jesus. Can't be real. And I've been honest. Riley and I are in this season where we are teaching you and teaching us about the miracles of God. And in two weeks, he's about to have surgery the last four days past past this weekend, I have been in more pain than I can remember. I got up this morning. I couldn't go into work because I couldn't even walk. I worked upstairs because I couldn't walk downstairs. And we're teaching about healing. And we have yet to experience our healing. Does that mean God does not heal? No, it just means that we are still waiting. But what we don't have in a physical restoration... We have experience in a spiritual restoration. That our faith in the journey that we have walked. I know that God still loves me if Riley has surgery in two weeks. I'm still praying for a miracle. And I will pray all the way there. But God's goodness and his truth and his reality is not dependent on our circumstances. So God is not a good God if our circumstances are good. God's goodness allows us to weather the good circumstances and the really crappy ones. And a part of the gospel that we don't share with people is that there will be crappy ones. Life will suck sometimes and maybe for long periods of time. But an alignment of who the Messiah is, who Jesus is, is when we align ourselves and our perspective and our expectation to what is true.